I want to talk about hanging on to your dream. The story of the Apostle Paul begins with him being Saul of Tarsus. And he was, by his own admission, a Pharisee of the Pharisees. And when this new group came along called Christians, he believed it was his mission from God to stop them. In fact, back in Acts 7, the first Christian martyr to give his life for Jesus was a young man named Stephen. He was on trial, and when he was done giving his testimony about the risen Christ, the Pharisees and religious leaders picked up rocks and stoned him to death. And Scripture says the man who held the coats of those throwing the stones was a young man named Saul. After this, Saul became more motivated to stop Christians. So he went from town to town persecuting all those who believed that Jesus was the promised Messiah. He had arrest them, persecute them, imprison them, and consent even to their death. One day as he's traveling with official documents to authorize him to arrest Christians, he's going to a new village to Damascus. What happens? He's on the road to Damascus, and a light comes out of heaven so bright it blinds Saul, knocks him to the ground off his horse. And a voice speaks to him from that light and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul responds by saying, who are you, Lord? And the voice says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And Jesus gives him a new vision that sets his life on a totally new and 180 degree turnaround. And now the one who persecuted believers is a believer himself. And as we get to the end of his life, we find him having to put up with a lot of persecution himself. You know, a little sowing and reaping maybe. So now here in Acts 26, Paul's on trial before Herod Agrippa, and he's giving his testimony. He's presenting his legal defense, but he's cleverly packaging it and presenting it to show irrefutable facts that Jesus Christ is, in fact, the promised Messiah. So Paul's on trial before King Herod Agrippa II. Now this Herod and his predecessors were all known as vicious, brutal people. Think about the different rulers we've had in the dynasty in North Korea. It was Herod the Great who ruled when Jesus was born. He ordered the slaughter of all male babies two years old and under. It was Herod Agrippa's grandfather, nice family tree. And one of his sons, Agrippa I, was responsible for killing James, the son of Zebedee, and Agrippa I imprisoned Peter. So now we got the third generation clown, Herod Agrippa, following in his grandfather and father's footsteps, now putting Paul on trial. So Paul, as he stands before King Agrippa II, tells his story. He shares the vision he got. And Paul's vision says to all of us, humbly submit yourself to the will of God. You know, Paul had been fighting against the will of God, fighting those who were believers in Jesus, and, and it was impressing him. We only know that because Jesus told him in that light, it's kind of hard for you, Sparky, to kick against the conviction, isn't it? Paul, being a very educated man, bilingual, schooled under the great teacher Gamaliel, he he kind of knew, I think this is real, it, but he was still persecuting Christians, and Jesus said, you're having trouble, aren't you? It's messing with your conscience, because you know it's true. And so he had to submit to the will of God in that vision. But he was fighting personally what God wanted from his life, 
And what was the will of God for Paul? To believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. First thing God wants from anybody. You listen to people and it's like, well, you ought to quit smoking. Well, you ought to do this. Well, you ought to stop that. First thing is you need to believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. The first place. Other stuff is secondary. You get the main thing, the main thing. So your life and mine would be to believe in his son. That's where Paul had to start. And that's where every person here has to start. The Bible says God is not willing any should perish, but that everybody should come to repentance. I mean, God's for you. And the second part of Paul's vision, Jesus told him to get up, stand up. Somebody has said, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. So Jesus said, believe and then stand up. Now, a lot of people want to believe, they just don't want to stand up. They want to stay silent and unnoticed. They they think I should not even declare my faith or impose my faith on anybody. But we're not talking about being insensitive or obnoxious or, God forbid, judgmental. But we are not to be so tolerant we don't stand up for what we believe. It's a balance. It's believe and then stand up. And third thing he told him, stand up and tell the world. And that was harder for Paul than for us, I can tell you. He was just minutes away from having been a Pharisee, and now God's sending him not only to the Jews, but to the Gentiles. And Paul has never hung out with Gentiles. He's racist, he's bigoted, and he's proud. Pharisees didn't mix with Gentiles. Democrats and Republicans didn't have anything to do with each other. You fill in the blank. So God sends him to both of them, the Jews and the Gentiles. And listen to what Jesus told him. This is in Acts 26, verse 16 and 17. Jesus tells Paul, now stand up, for I have appeared to you to appoint you as my servant and my witness. You are to tell the world about this experience and about other times I will appear to you. And I will protect you from both your own people, the Jewish people, and the Gentiles. Yes, I'm going to send you to the Gentiles. So humbly submit to my will. Believe Jesus is Lord. Then he says, stand up. And then he says, tell the world. Who's our world today? Well, how about your family? Members that don't have a relationship with Jesus. Friends, co-workers, neighbors. And then he says, trust the Lord to protect and provide as you lead others to forgiveness and faith. Basically, God's telling Paul, I'm giving you a vision a new direction, a new purpose in life. If you'll do it, it'll get kind of rough, but I'll take care of you. And that's the promise to you and I. That's not just true for Paul. That's true for every believer in Christ. If we'll be about Father's business, whatever that assignment is for you, God says, I'll take care of you. And this is the vision that Paul dramatically receives, tenaciously lives, and now he testifies he hasn't been disobedient to it. Okay, so here's some questions this morning. How can we live out God's will in our lives today? Second, how can we be certain we aren't disobedient to God's vision for us? And third, how can we, like Paul, hang on tenaciously to our vision? Well, number one, see every adversity as an opportunity in disguise. Paul didn't share the details of his life with Agrippa, but he did at other times, and they weren't very pretty. Listen to this, if you had a bad week. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 through 27. Are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. I am much more. 
I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a day and a night in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. By the way, you still want God to speak to you? I have been in danger from rivers, in dangers from bandits, in dangers from fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and had often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst, and I have gone without food. I have been cold and naked. And after all this, Paul could have said, why me? What have I done to deserve this? But he didn't. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 12, he says, Since I know it's for Christ's good, then I am confident with my weaknesses, with insults, with hardships, with persecutions and calamities. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. So how was your week? Still want to gripe about the traffic on 281 or 1604? I mean... That's quite a thing, isn't it? That's quite, a, I mean, when the Lord appears to you, buckle up, buttercup, it's going to be a rough ride. Yeah, I wish the Lord would speak to me. Oh, really? Yeah, I'd like to, if I saw that burning bush, I'd just walk on by. <laughs> right? It's always a matter of perspective. It's a matter of how we see things that we go through. Is a slow traffic jam on 281, God forbid, an opportunity to freak out? Or an opportunity to grow in patience. That one's for me. Is your financial crunch going to bury you? Or is it an opportunity to smarten up and make wiser and more responsible and more resourceful decisions with the finances you'll receive in the future? It's a matter of perspective. Is the problem a brick wall or an opportunity to exercise faith, hope, or love? See, that's what makes the difference in people who are resilient. This is the dividing line between success and failure. It's why one inner city teacher makes a dramatic impact on her students while others just show up and get a paycheck. That's why one person who's laid off springs into action, gets a professional resume done, puts it out in every contact they have, on every media opportunity they have, makes a mid-course correction in their career. Being laid off actually motivates them while others just language, complain, and draw unemployment. It's why some highly intelligent people fall far short, while others of average intelligence excel. It's perspective. When facing adversity and challenges, it's whether we'll hang on to our vision, our dream, our goals, or not. Paul exemplifies the attitude of hanging on to your vision. Don't give it up. How would you like to be a hundred still believing you're going to have a kid? I mean, do, do we give these guys recognition? I know they're all flawed, but do we give them the recognition they need? I mean, it's kind of like, well, I prayed today, and if it doesn't happen, God must not be in it. Ask Abraham how he feels about it at 100. You're going to be changing pampers, Abraham. Shut up. Hang in there. This is, this is quite amazing. Or Wally said, I will never stop believing until my last breath. I love that. And Paul exemplifies the attitude of one that keeps on climbing. 
you know, it's a joke, but a rock climber falls from a mountainside. As he's falling, he grabs onto a branch and he prays, oh God, if you're up there, save me. And a voice speaks out of heaven, yes, my son, I'm here. I will save you. And the climber is overjoyed and says, thank you, Lord. What do I do now? And God said, trust me, let go. And the climber shouted, anybody else up there? Keep, keep on climbing, folks. There are three categories of people in life, just three, quitters, campers, and climbers. How about the quitters? John Greenleaf Whittier wrote, for all the sad words of tongue or pen, the saddest words are, it might have been. Quitters lead compromised lives. They abandon their dreams. They have a lot of excuses. They can't fulfill their dreams. They throw pity parties. They're often miserable. Misery loves company. Quitters are often depressed and bitter. They're time wasters. They are the proverbial couch potatoes. They always take the path of least resistance, and they never change. See, God forbid that any of us come to the end of our life and say, gee, I wish I would have lived. I'm at least going to try. I mean, Cindy may not like me, but she could at least write on my tombstone, at least the sucker tried. And then you'd just be surprised how many couldn't say that, didn't try. See, quitting is a choice. Don't quit. The great theologian Vince Lombardi from the Green Bay Packers said quitting becomes a habit. And if you start, it gets easier and easier to do in life. And our nation is filled with quitters. Good starters, but they don't finish. Second are campers. They live compromised lives too, but to a lesser degree. Campers theme song is good enough is good enough. A little duct tape and bondo, it'll be okay. See, they're content with the trade-off between sacrificing what could be to hang on to the illusion of keeping what is. They quit climbing somewhere along the way, and they camp out where it's comfortable. The goal of the camper is personal comfort. They are not risk-takers. They're, you know, they're okay with status quo. Good enough is good enough. Then you go to the third group, the climbers. Climbers alone live life to the fullest. They live life with passion and purpose and grit and determination and zest. Climbers have a passion for life and especially for God. Climbers are willing to sacrifice present comfort for future reward. Pay now, play later. Yeah, delayed gratification. Climbers have strong faith. The word quit, not in their vocabulary. And neither are the words good enough. Climbers are courageous, but they're human. They get tired. They have some doubts. They sometimes get lonely. They get bruised, but they get over it. To camp, by the way, if you haven't, I'm sorry, it's not deep theology, but the Eagles, the old 70s rock group, have a great song called Get Over It. Crying and pitching a fit, get over it. You ought to play it on the way home as a theme song. Yeah, you haven't heard, right. So to campers, base camp's a permanent address. Sad. They get a widescreen TV, a cappuccino machine, a sectional couch, and they plop down. See, some, some achievement, but they haven't, they haven't fulfilled their purpose or their destiny. They stopped at comfort. But to climbers, camping is just the place to rest, to be rejuvenated, and then resume the climb. 
Matthew chapter 5, verse 2 in the Message Bible says, when Jesus saw his ministry drawing huge crowds, he climbed a hillside. Those who were apprenticed to him, the committed, climbed with him. Arriving at a quiet place, he sat down and taught his climbing companions. See, I want to be a climbing companion with Jesus, committed to climb. Keep climbing. Take a drink. Take a break if you need to. Take a breather, but keep climbing. So let's sum it up. Quitters have little or no ambition at all. They rarely create anything. They always produce subpar quality. Campers, they have some initiative, some quality. They do what's required, but never anything. They go a mile, but they will never go an extra mile. Well, that's not my job. Well, I'm not paid to do that. And then climbers, they embrace the challenge. They are dedicated to growth and lifelong learning. They make things happen. The author Tennyson wrote, to strive, to seek, to find, and not to yield. That ought to be our mantra. Paul said it like this in Philippians 3. I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I keep working towards that day when I finally will be all that Christ Jesus saved me for and wants me to be. No, dear brothers and sisters, I'm still not all I should be, but I am focusing all my energies on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I strain to reach the end of the race and receive the prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us up to heaven. And third, if you want to hang on to your vision, run your race with your eyes on the prize. That's about focus. Thomas Edison had a vision for electric power. The Wright brothers had a vision for man flight. Gandhi had a vision of fairness and freedom. Steve Jobs had a vision for computers. Martin Luther King Jr. had a vision for racial equality. Paul the Apostle had a a pioneering vision for reaching Jews and Gentiles, which was going to be a major problem. And Jesus He had a vision of salvation, eternal forgiveness, and reconciliation between God and man. They were driven by that purpose. What drives you? What gets you out of the bed? What keeps you going when you don't feel like going? Something something has to, or you just start deteriorating, getting old and dying. Your immune system goes down. Well, my lumbago hurts. Well, I've got diflugus or the new gag this week. I'm not feeling good. I don't know, Lord God, my my back hurts. (laughs) You're just a pain. You you need something bigger, something to drive you, something to make those cells in your body live, baby. T-cells, come into action. I'm not through. We got a lot of life to live yet. We got stuff to do. We got a dream to fulfill. Come on, move it, move it. And stay young In, 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 in biological terms. Keep that body moving, blood, killing disease, do something besides well I you know I'm 60 now and my blood is not moving good my legs kind of hurt I got varicose veins Lord I got spider veins oh Lord what am I going to do oh I don't sleep good I have a relative like that I don't even want to go near him you know I, I, I don't even want to do FaceTime just, I don't even want to see that face. It's just awful. What do, pe- what do people see when they see your face, huh? How's your, how's your week, Brother Rick? It's great. 
I'm breathing. I'm alive. I'm still pushing to fill this church, to move the division. What do you mean? It's great. I'm alive. I'm breathing. It's great. What's the other option? Die? I don't want to put on my tombstone. I wish I had lived. I'm living. Live the dream. It's okay. You say, well, I climbed on the wrong horse. Well, dismount and get on the right horse. Make a big change. People make career changes. People make a change from the way of life and all the time. And it's usually for better. So Orison Martin said, deep within humans dwell those slumbering powers, powers that would astonish people that they never dreamed of possessing, forces that would revolutionize their life if aroused and put into action. In Ephesians 3, Paul says, Now glory be to God by his mighty power at work within us. He is able to accomplish infinitely more than we would ever dare to ask or hope for. May he be given glory in the church and in Christ Jesus forever and ever through the endless ages. So don't be passive with a measure of success. God can do more in you. And don't sit around feeling unsuccessful. There's a power in you as well. All of us have a treasure in these earthen vessels. God said so. So if God wants to do exceedingly abundantly in us and exceedingly abundantly through us, then he gives us, like Paul, a vision for our life. We've got to refuse to quit, to camp, Instead, like men and women of old, we climb, baby. We keep climbing until our last breath. We might be ordinary, but with God, we can become extraordinary. We may be natural men and women, but by God's power, we can be supernatural. How do we awaken the slumbering power of God within us? How do we become all that God has destined us to become? Well, see every adversity as an opportunity. Keep on climbing. Keep your eye on the prize, on your goal, on your dream, and hang on tenaciously to your vision. Paul's last letter to Timothy is in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6 through 8. He says, as for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought a good fight, I finished the race, and I've remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness that the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that great day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his glorious return. So Paul hung on to his vision in spite of everything. So let's quit being quitters. Let's draw a line in the sand and say, it stops today. I give up too easy. I give up too soon. And now I got a habit. If I don't like it, if it hurts, if it's taking too long, I quit. Don't quit. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 8. Listen to Paul. We are pressed on every side by trouble, but not crushed and not broken. We are perplexed. Don't know what in the heck's going on, but we don't give up and quit. Yeah, you look at the world right now, right now, I'm perplexed. What the heck is going on? Globally, it's crazy. I think even those of us who expect a long haul never expected this crazy stuff to be going on this long. Or did any of you have a thought? I mean, does that ever cross your mind? Like, Lord Jesus, going on two years, I didn't think that would be so. Been through a lot of things. Does anything surprise you? Ah. <laughs> Thanks, Henry. Appreciate it. 
Now, let's come over here, Henry. Somebody's alive that wants to live. I ask myself all the time, here's what I know. God's still in charge. We're not victims. He saw, Psalms 24, the earth is the Lord's, the fullness of it, and all they that dwell in it. Doesn't belong to the devil. Never did. God allows him some rope to, to do some things, to, to train us, make us tougher, to test us. He allows certain things to happen, but he's still in control. And he's in control of you. He said, the hairs on your head are numbered. And some of you washed a few down the drain in the shower this morning. He said, I got them numbered. I know every star by name, not one disappears without my knowledge. Get a bigger God, right? So I, I may not understand what's going on. I may be perplexed, but I don't quit the journey. Now, I may have to change strategy. We might have to change how we do something, but the mission doesn't change. COVID, the black plague, or diflugus of the new gag. Our mission is the same. Seek and save that which is lost at any cost. That's never going to change, right? So ask yourself some questions about quitting. Think back a few years. What do you wish you hadn't quit on? High school? College? Grad school? Maybe a relationship, a marriage? Maybe gave up on yourself? Or maybe gave up on God? Why did you give up so easily? Because it's easier to quit than endure. It's easier to come home and play than do your homework. It's easier to come home and watch TV than to take a night course at a community college or a business college. It's easier to walk out of a room during an argument than to hang in there and work patiently through it. It's easier to spend it all than to give the Lord 10%. It's easier to quit following the Lord altogether than enduring the painful process of daily submitting yourself to him and having character formed within you. See, God's a lot more concerned about what you are becoming than what you are doing. He, he cares more about who you're becoming than what you're doing. So quitting is always easier, but in the end, it exacts a high cost that many have paid dearly for. You know, as we close this morning, I've got a question. Where are you in your spiritual journey? Have you quit? Just given up? Nah, it's never going to happen. Psalms 137, verses 1, 2, and 3. says, by the rivers of Babylon, we sat down and wept. Poor me, when we remembered Zion and how it once was or how it can never be again. See, folks, our place is not sitting, but standing. You can't rejoice if you just sit down and quit and give up. So have you quit? Secondly, are you camping? Have you become satisfied, complacent, comfortable with the way things are or in what you've acquired or attained at this point in your life? If you have, you better know things will not change. You will not change if that's your attitude. If you're satisfied and complacent, you won't change. You won't move forward. And last, are you climbing? Are you moving on? Not looking back, you know, but seeing some progress. And if not, then the Lord can meet you where you are today. And he can take you to the place you need to be and who you need to become. If you will move towards him and allow him to have his way and his will in your life. So I want to pray for you. I, I, I want to help you have a life-changing experience, something that will pull you through stage four cancer, loss of a job, loss of a spouse or a child, whatever you may have gone through, 
however bad it is, you've got to have something to pull you forward. That's why God gives people a vision. You've got to see something to move towards it. And even Jesus in his humanity said, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the Father. He, he didn't want to do that, but because he saw you redeemed, part of his family, knowing that the law could be taken out of the way, sin could be obliterated and forgiven, and that you could become a part of his kingdom and family if he would become sin, if he would go to the cross. He said, well, I'll do it. So you've got to see something bigger than the price you pay. The reward's got to outweigh the cost or you won't do it. And we're watching the Olympics and it's amazing. I don't care if it's been surgery recent or whatever pains they may have, they want that medal and they will deprive themselves of every pleasure to get it. They're driven by that vision. What drives you? For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com.